You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would indeed send your spirit to speak to us now. Give us ears to hear and plow up our hard hearts that the seeds of the gospel that are sown this day would take deep root into our hearts and grow unto fruition for our good, but above all, for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Here in Luke chapter 8, and I'll direct your attention to it, if you you might find it helpful to open up your pew Bibles to 865, because I'm going to look at most of chapter 8 and bounce a little bit back to chapter 7. But we see that this is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Most notably, that the crowds begin to get bigger. And so much so that they begin to crowd in on Jesus and his teaching becomes much more specific. Although teaching in parables, uh, the parable he gives us today is a bit of a scalpel on the human heart. Uh, He is so emphatic about it that he tells this parable and then it says that he called out. So it's sort of like having a conversation with people and then all of a sudden he blurts out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You sort of look over your shoulder, who is he talking to? But the disciples realize this must be a very important thing that he said, and we really want to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. And the bottom line is that Jesus is saying is it's not just what you hear. Because he would caution against people going and listening to every teacher and preacher out there, especially those who would not be faithful to the word. Of course you should pay attention to what you hear. But see in verse 18, he says, take care then how you hear. Have you ever thought about that? That it's not just a matter of sitting back and judging the orthodoxy of what it is that you're hearing. But if you've ever asked yourself, how do I hear God's word? When God's word is scattered indiscriminately as this sower does, and it lands on my heart... How do I receive it? Because Jesus is making the point when his brothers and sisters or brother and his brothers and his mother are standing outside desiring to see him. Verse 21, he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, this might sound really hard against his family, but what Jesus is saying is actually incredibly inclusive. He's saying, no, my family are not just the people that I'm related to, but the people that I have in my family are those who hear my word and put it into practice. My word takes root in their lives and grows unto fruition. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my child. That the totality of their life has been captivated and taken over by me. And because these crowds were growing, Jesus tells this parable in order to differentiate what kind of hearers he has following after him. In the first instance, he tells us that seed is sown indiscriminately by the sower. And this first seed in verse Five, fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And he explains it in verse 12 by saying, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts 
so that they may not believe and be saved. So in the first instance, Jesus says, it is possible to hear the word of God with no effect. It's a remarkable thing. We believe that the word of God has power, and yet Jesus is saying here that you can sit under the teaching of the word of God your entire life, and it may not affect you in the least. Now remember, the people that Jesus is talking about are not people who have not heard, but people who have heard. Whether they were following Jesus in his day or whether you've grown up in the life of the church in the here and now. And Jesus is saying that it's not just about hearing, but actually a matter of salvation. That the devil comes along and takes this word away so that what? That they may not believe and be saved. And so there are eternal consequences to how the word falls on us and how we receive it. And here Jesus is speaking of hard-hearted people, where the word bounces off of them like Teflon. It never takes root. Uh, The way that I often think about it is uh, like going to my doctor's office, and there's something going on there because he seems wholly committed to making his doctor's office completely retro. Everything is from 1972. The furniture, the wallpaper, it even kind of smells like cigarette smoke. So, and, and in the background, there's what, I, what used to be called elevator music, popular music set to instrumentation, so much so that you kinda have, you're listening to it, you're like, I kind of know that tune, but I can't quite place it because it's not in the original. It's normally one of the Beatles songs. And you're just sort of listening and trying to figure out what it is. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here, that you might have heard over and over again the word of God. You might have grown up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yet all it was was just a song. It meant nothing to you. It didn't take any root. You're listening, but you're not really hearing it. You're not discerning what it is that it's saying to you. It's not for you. It's simply out there. And of course, the devil is happy to cooperate with a hardened heart. And there are many ways in which we harden our hearts to God. It's not something that happens instantaneously. Uh, The letter to the Hebrews tells us that hardening of a heart is something that happens over time. It's not as if one day you wake up and say, well, I've got a hard heart. But no, day after day, your heart begins to develop calluses to the point where it becomes so hard that God's word can't even penetrate it. And even when the word is sown, the devil comes up and snatches the word away so that you might not believe and not be saved. And so what if you are one of those people that's sitting there this morning and saying, I'm afraid I have a hard heart. Whatever it is that has caused your heart to callous and you think, I don't, I don't want to have a hard heart. I want to get over this hard heart. We hear what the prophet Ezekiel says about the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 36, verse 26. The promise of God that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That it's simply crying out, oh God, plow up my heart. 
Take out my old heart and create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a right spirit within me. I don't want your word to be stolen from me. I don't want it to be repelled by the hardness of my heart, but I want it to take deep root. And so, God, I know I can't do that on my own. I need you to intervene in my heart and to plow it up. And friends, God's Holy Spirit is ready and able to do that if we would but cry out to him. In the second instance, Jesus tells us that it's possible to accept the word of God superficially and still not have eternal life. In verse 6, he says that some fell on the rock and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And then in verse 13, he explains, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, fall away. It's possible to hear God's word and superficially accept it. This is the seed, the word of God that has been sown and it found a joyful listener. God's word was welcomed. It's a little bit like Nicodemus in John 3 where he's just experienced Jesus overturning the tables of the money lenders in the temple. And so he goes to Jesus at night excited as to who Jesus might be. And then Jesus begins to speak of spiritual things. Nicodemus doesn't have the ears to hear. And he goes away sad and confused. What does it mean to be born again? Oh, Jesus, I really liked what you said back then, but now you're saying things that don't make any sense to me. I don't know. And so where at first there might have been a fire burning brightly, it quickly burns out. The issue is not, have I heard the word or have I heard it joyfully or am I overwhelmed with emotion in that moment? But how deep has God's word gone down in my heart? When I was a teenager, there was a drama group that would come through uh, our town every year and they would put on a little evangelistic play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And I was brought to it one night and I walked away from it saying, this is the greatest evangelism tool that ever was. It seemed to be completely effective. And what it was was this, is that it showed different vignettes in people's lives. And one of them I remember because I was a teenager at the time. These teenagers had been out for a night of drinking and all of the uh, pagan heathen teenagers had been drinking and they were driving in the front seat except for the one faithful Christian teenager who had abstained from drinking alcohol was there in the back seat but there was a car crash and all of them died and there they stood before the throne of judgment and all of those heathen teenagers that had been drinking were carried off by the devil into hell's flames and the faithful Christian who had abstained from alcohol was whisked up into heaven by the angel and lived amongst God's people in the clouds. Well, there are about five or six of these vignettes. And so when the pastor got up at the end and said, now, who would like to accept Jesus as Savior? It was a stampede. An absolute stampede. And I thought, I'm bringing everybody I know to this thing. And I remember vividly one of my best friends I took. And when the pastor issued the call at the end, he literally jumped over the corner of the pew to get out and to go down front, and he knelt and he prayed. And then two weeks later, it was as if nothing had ever happened. 
my friend would readily admit later on that he went down front to pray not because he was afraid of sinning, but of burning. He went down front not so much to gain heaven as to avoid hell. And Jesus and his word really didn't factor in to his decision. He simply didn't want to get carried away like all of those pagans did in the drama. And so the seed that was sown seemed to have taken some root into his life. But then at a time of trial, a time of tribulation, it withered up and died because the seed never really took root. But for some of us, it might not be an emotional decision. The shallowness of our faith might actually be intellectual. That we have an intellectual assent and acceptance of the rational gospel, that it makes sense to us up here, but in our lives, it doesn't. And so it remains in our minds, but never actually gets roots deep down in our soul and captivates us as a total person. Because until the word goes down and affects the human will, we won't know what it means to experience true salvation. Otherwise, when adversity comes along, you and I will wither. And the third instance, Jesus says that it's possible to hear the word without repentance. He says in verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And he explains in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And so the seed of the gospel goes out, and you notice that the thorns are already there. And sure enough, absolutely, the real energy of the soil goes to the production of thorns. And this ground is very happy to accommodate the word. It's a little bit like the old hymn, Have You Any Room for Jesus? Well, have you any room for Jesus? Well, of course I do. I've got a little bit of room over here. Here's a little corner of my heart that Jesus can have. But alongside all of the rest of the rubbish in my heart, amongst the thorns of my life, but yes, here's a little piece for him. Now, when this parable gets preached on or taught on in our congregation, it's this particular bit of the parable where a lot of Adventers begin to pay attention. Because they wonder, has the gospel of Jesus Christ, is, am I in danger of allowing it to be choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life? You notice he doesn't talk about the evils of life. It's not sinful things that he's talking about per se. He's talking about actually the, the good things of life the things that are to be enjoyed and yet begin to gain an improper place in the hearts of individuals who have initially received the word of God. So much so that they begin to crowd Jesus out until there's no room for him. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing while I'm sitting up here is I like to look and see how you sing. Now, some of you don't sing, and I make a mental note of that, and there will be a judgment day. Uh, 
But even those of you that don't sing, I, I watch your countenance. And I can see the weeds growing up. I can see where your mind begins to wander. You begin to think about things that are really encroaching in on your life that are real. Your children, your marriage, your job, your life. And it's not a matter of, oh, because then I can often see some of you snap too and you think, oh, I need to stop thinking about those things and set my sights upon what's really important. I need to focus in the here and now. When in fact, Jesus is saying, no, I want to go with you to the weeds. I'm going to get in the weeds. I'm going to get into the thorns. Where your mind is wandering is exactly where I need to go. It's not as if you shut the door and just move back to that nice compartmentalized place where I'm allowed to dwell. And it may be that some of us need, like the rich young ruler, to give up everything that we have and to sell it and to give the money to the poor and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But more often than not, God works in such a way that the way he begins to remove the weeds and the thorns of our lives is he gets us to hold things loosely. That we just don't grip and hold those things that really are not of eternal consequence quite as tightly and as controllingly as we did before. Because Jesus says, that's mine to deal with. I'm the master gardener. I pull the weeds up. And the key to being able to identify this, if you're thinking, well, I really am afraid, Andrew, that the thorns are coming up and they're beginning to choke out God's word. The indicator of this, that you're in the right place, is repentance. That yes, you hear the word by faith. That God has intervened in your life and opened your eyes to who Jesus is and who you are. But because of that, you begin to orient your life. And by God's grace, you turn and you orient yourself toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Your eyes are not on the thorns and the weeds. Your eyes are upon him. And you feel them acutely, but you realize he has this. And my job is to repent of the control that I try to have over my life of the control that I think I can exercise because the fact of the matter is I can't deal with these thorns and weeds. Only Jesus can. And so repentance is turning away from that and orienting ourselves toward the Lord Jesus Christ and welcoming him into our lives even on a daily basis to clear out every rival in my heart and in your heart. And then finally, the good soil. These are those who hear the word of God and hold it fast. Jesus says this is the good soil that grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then explains that this is the good soil and they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Well, what does it mean to have an honest and good heart? What does it mean to have a fertile heart where the word of God can take root? Was well, it being morally upright? Is it making all the right decisions? Is it having it all together? Is it making it to church Sunday after Sunday? Well, Jesus actually tells us what a good heart looks like. In chapter 7, we hear that Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee to eat. And while he's in the house, Jesus took his place at the table and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner 
when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and stood behind him at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And the Pharisee said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what a good heart looks like. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Who else has a good heart with fertile soil? Chapter 8, verse 1. Soon after, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits. Demon-possessed women. Would they make your list of people you would say, oh, they have a good heart. They have a fertile heart for the word of God. But in fact, the fertile heart is the heart that understands that it's hard. God, come and plow up my heart. Who knows that it's rocky? Lord, remove the rocks in my heart so that the word of God can take deep root. It's the heart that knows I've got thorns and weeds, Lord. Come and pull them out and reign in the middle and center of my life rightfully on the throne of my heart. It's the heart that knows that the only hope for rescue and salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. In John chapter 6, Jesus has given a hard teaching saying, He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will live forever. And some of the disciples in verse 60 say, This is too hard a saying. Who can bear it? And from that day, many departed from Jesus. And there were the twelve and assumingly a, a couple others who were left behind. And Jesus said, you haven't left too? And they said, Lord, where are we to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe that you are both Lord and Savior. An indicator that your heart has been plowed up and is ripe for the word of God is that when everyone else has left Jesus, there you are standing with him. Because you realize that Jesus is all that you have and all that you need. And apart from him, you are lost and you are nothing. But that Jesus Christ himself is your all and all. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 1, without money, come and buy. You know your heart's in bad shape? Come anyway. All that the Lord requires of you is that you feel your need of him. And the Lord Jesus, his arm is never too short to save. But he's in the business of plowing up hard hearts, of removing rocks. He's in the business of pulling up thorns and establishing his word in your heart and taking deep root that it would grow unto fruition for your good and my good, but above all, for the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we live and have our being. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.